0: Without further ado, another episode of the Success Story Podcast. Thanks again for joining me. Today, I am sitting down with two individuals. Uh, you're going to get a masterclass in sales. I'm very excited to be sitting down with Amy Volus and Samantha McKenna. Um, now, Amy is the founder and CEO of Avenue Talent Partners, with more than $100 million in revenue sold and named sales hacker's most dynamic woman in sales. Amy is a fanatic Turned entrepreneur, sales fanatic turned entrepreneur. So I'm sorry, Amy.
1: We're fanatic So
0: she uh, she worked in various sales roles. She was bitten by the startup bug many moons ago and couldn't imagine spending her time anywhere else. She created Avenue Talent Partners to help with the tremendous task of growing startups through some of their most valuable assets: executive sales leaders, sales leaders, and enterprise salespeople. Um, and then we also have on the call Samantha McKenna, and Samantha is the CEO of Sam Sales. Um, so Samantha McKenna has been an enterprise executive for over a decade for companies like On24, and most recently LinkedIn, and is the founder of, uh, is it hashtag Sam Sales or is it Sam Sales? The hashtag Sam Sales Consulting, um, which helps organizations operationalize sales and also allows companies to outsource their BDR efforts uh, using the approved hashtag Sam sales methodology and I, I just keep dropping the hashtag SamSales because I think if you go and look it up, you're going to have to use that. Is that the, is that the actual name, Sam? Tell me more about, about you know, what you've done and, uh, and what you're doing now.
2: Yeah, no, that, that is the actual name, and people miss it all the time, or they capitalize the S's everywhere, and they have no idea how to do it, but it's all good. Um, the, the hashtag where that came into play was uh, to the sales hacker point for Amy, um, them voting her such a phenomenal female. Um, about five years ago, I decided that I was going to share my sales tips uh, on LinkedIn, and every single time I would talk to my colleagues and peers and reports about my sales tips, they would think, oh, I never thought to do it that way like that's a great idea i'm gonna go do it and then it proved successful so i said I'm just gonna share it with the world. I'm gonna post on LinkedIn, and I'm gonna see what happens. And a wise friend said, you should attach a hashtag to it if you're going to post a lot. So I did, and I just thought, Sam Sales sounds cute. I'm gonna use that, and that's where that was born. And actually, the very first post I made, Sales Hacker reached out and said, hey, we love this piece, would you write for us? And I said, uh, yeah, sure. And so then they came and said, here are six bullets, we'd love for you to write on, pick one. And I'm like, I'll write all six. And they were like, easy, easy tiger. Like, let's see how, how you do with the first one. And I was like, all right. Um, but that's where that was born. So over the years I've posted uh, almost daily content with that hashtag. And if you are looking for truly tangible uh, things that you can use to execute your sales game better, uh, hopefully you'll find some value in there and you can, <laughs> you can look up five, five or so years of work so far.
0: So so tell me, because um, I want to get just a, a breakdown of each of your careers and and why you've moved into, you know, for, I guess, for lack of a better term, just sales consulting. And if that's not the the way you want to classify yourself, or if you have like a certain niche that you drill into, let me, let me know. But Sam, for you, you had uh, great roles at On24 and like, I think um, your role at LinkedIn, if I, if I, I saw it before you were like head of enterprise for, I think, New York or or some regional, some very high up position at LinkedIn. Those are great positions. What made you want to move into uh, your own thing? Yeah,
2: I think after um, after getting to spend some time at LinkedIn, what was wonderful is that I got to now move into an ambassador role for LinkedIn. So I'm one of their brand ambassadors to talk about Navigator and what the company does in general. Um, but I think starting my own consultancy was just something probably just like Amy, you know, wanting to own your own thing, be able to impact more businesses than just one that you you supported and worked under. And it was really born through wanting to take one a little bit of time off, but then a bunch of my old clients saying. We always get into these predicaments and we think, what would Sam do? Which is so humbling and wonderful to hear. And just getting to go down that path and being able to operationalize sales, marketing, demand gen, their finances, um, was incredible. And then I think what um, what was really born out of this whole initiative uh, after that was the idea of how do we get more pipeline? How do we get more meetings? How do we get more outreach and uh, our word out about us? And instead of just doing marketing or hiring a salesperson, we said, let's look at your business development representatives. Let's plug the SAM sales messaging methodology and cadences and what we do in the process of when we get you know objection or when we get a I'd love to meet but not for 3 months let's put that into play with our team. And so this was built in December. We officially launched it in March of this year. And as of Monday this week, we, at 112, 113 days, we signed our 18th client for it. So um, yeah, um, but it's one, thanks. I, I think it just solves a good gap. You know, a lot of organizations know they want more pipeline, but they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to write their messaging. They, they you know, they need some guidance. So we're here for you. <laughs> yeah.
0: I feel that. Okay. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of points that we can speak about, about, you know, what's, what's broken in sales, why, why people are, or why organizations are having such a hard time. But let's, let's kick it over to Amy. Um, Amy, I want to hear your story because I think that after we tee up your story, then a lot of the stuff that we can talk about is, you know, we'll just have a conversation with everybody. Um, But I don't want to, I don't want to leave you out and go too far without getting, you know, your background and why, again, you also had a similar career path, not identical, but you came from, uh, large enterprise, as well as some, uh, a variety of different sales uh, leadership roles over your career. And then you moved into your own thing. And you know, when we spoke before, um, I, I love the way you put it because it's something that I felt in like, my own career when you're just, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you phrase it your own way, but when you just, you just want to do your own thing. But speak to me about why you became um, you know, a sales consultant uh, and, and what you're doing now with, uh, like with your company
1: yeah so i should probably clarify i'm not i i'm multiple things consulting is one of those things but i own a sales recruiting firm so it's like one part recruiting one part hr one part consulting one part selling one part therapy one part coach one part lawyer like and the list goes on and on and on and so depending on like what's happening that day I am wearing all those hats daily but it just depends on what goes on. But you know, for I think anybody listening to this, um for me I was thrown into enterprise sales back in the day, back in 2001. I was doing something very different. Uh the market had fallen apart after 9/11. I loved this company. I loved the CEO. Some of my dearest friends came from that experience and we would have taken a bullet for the company, for the CEO. And I learned a really valuable lesson early on that you don't put all of your eggs in one basket. And that's exactly what we had done. And the company was hemorrhaging. And I remember a sit down with the CEO that again, like we just adored and admired and respected and, and genuinely really liked. And he was like, guess what? There's really nothing for you to work on. And if you want to stay here, the only thing that you have room to do is to get in and to start selling. I'm like, what? I'm sorry, wait, what What was that? And so, I mean, and it was like big stuff. It was going after, at the time, MCI and Walgreens and McDonald's. I, I'm a Chicago girl by trade and all those big brands. And here I am, a puppy, not having any idea what I'm doing, no training, no resources. And I fell in love and the rest is history. So throughout my career, um, I've worked for big companies like Yahoo and always in enterprise sales, always in and around the HR tech recruiting landscape, and um, both in sales leadership and enterprise sales individual contribution. Here's the thing, though. You start a company for one of two reasons. So I come from like a long lineage of sales folk as well as entrepreneurs, and I think it's just in my DNA, and I, I knew that I always wanted to do something on my own terms and the way that I saw fit that would be really productive and helpful. And I think people start companies for one of two reasons. They're either like Steve Jobs and I'm not that smart. I will never be that smart, where it's like, oh, well, we're going to change the way something is done and the way people use these things, or they're going to be using something brand new that they never even imagined that would change the face of the world. Um, yeah, so that's not me. And I apologize, there's a seaplane taking off as we're talking. So, <laughs> there's so a, It's my
2: seaplane, no worries.
1: So just just <laughs> a
0: disclaimer, we were trying to do this last week, but uh, Amy's at a beautiful cottage and she showed me the view and I don't feel bad for her at all because it oh, is it is 100% zero. where I would rather be right
1: now. <laughs> if you're going to be locked down, you've got to be by water.
0: Um, I 100% agree, yeah.
1: So... So I think then the other side to why people start companies is they've been around the block for a long time and they care deeply about their marketplace, about the ecosystem that they're part of, and they want to make it better or they've identified bits and pieces of something to make better or to solve real problems. That's totally me. And so for me, I identify, I think, less with sales recruiting firm owner and more like my enterprise sales chops come through where I've identified problems that I want to solve and they need to be solved. And in my world, the status quo is not okay. It's begging for an overhaul. And I feel like thanks sea plane for flying, doing a drive by sea planes, like go Amy, go. (laughs) um, But I really feel like I was put on this planet to do this because recruiting, um, especially for startups, which is my second business love if you don't get it right, it's really, really painful. And I'm proud to say I've cracked the code of how to do that well to reduce that margin for error. So that's me. And that's why I think I wear all those hats. So I know how to sell. I care about the buyer journey. I care about fixing the broken bits and pieces of sales recruiting. I care about startups. And then just by the way of the work that I do, all those things come through and then some. I think that that's
2: that's where you and I are also so like cut from the same cloth, right? Like the impact that we want to make to the sales profession in general, however way we get there. And I and I think that that's that's really what is missing, right? We we know that the sales profession is broken. We know that there's so much that needs to be done. I, I also um, identify with your your therapist um, line there, right? I just got off the phone today with a CEO. Uh, we lost a pretty massive deal yesterday for a client, and he was like, "Say, me on to the night and i'm like oh i was like we don't want to one we don't want your team to think that and then two you know here's why here's what we really need to do in terms of emotions and leadership and things like that so sometimes it's just therapy and running through what they're thinking and kind of guiding them in a different way
1: well we're in the people business right so like you are and i am as well and i think anytime you're dealing with people no one person and no one business is created equally and i think that's part of the problem is especially with sales. It's like, well, let me jam you into my 89 point cadence of outreach that has nothing to do with anything. And it has everything to do with me. And let me get, grab 15 minutes of your time. Here's my calendar link. Here's why I'm awesome. Don't you want to talk? And the answer is no, I don't. Oh god. <laughs> so, you know, I think for both of us, the common ground and, and like, seriously, Scott, you're a gem for, um, w- being open to having both of us talk because like you get us together and we just geek out on this stuff but no,
0: i can see but i love it though it, it shows the passion
1: well i think for both of us we want to leave the community better than when we came into it at least for me i can say that sam i know you well and i think that you would agree with that but that's that's the jam here
0: can i tee up i, I want to tee up something because Please? there's a common thread in this and i understand like you know you're both you're both very like highly ambitious like you're you're really motivated individuals. And when you work in a business unit sales within a company that you find is is very latent and they're thinking in a lot of in a lot of ways. A lot of sales leaders don't think the way you do. I think the, the whole business unit is evolving, but it hasn't gotten to where it should be in terms of other other, you know, you look at marketing, you look at finance, you've got HR, there's a lot of processes, a lot of education in place. If you look at sales, a lot of that stuff is evolving now, but hasn't been for the longest time. And I think that there's people like yourself. We're sort of like leading the way in terms of making sales better. And, you know, even like you look at people like Mark Robert's and whatnot, who have really redefined what sales is. Um, and I guess my, my question or my comment and just what is, why is sales still broken? Because if you're, if you're a highly entrepreneurial individual in an organization like both of you are, and you're trying to make a difference and your traditional sales manager is not going to hear it, they're not, they're going to be very old school in their thinking. So why is sales like that? And how do we fix it?
2: I think this is what we can talk about for the next like 90 minutes. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know
0: we can. So that's why I wanted cr- to tee it up.
2: <laughs> um, I, so a couple couple thoughts Amy pass to you. I, I think one of the things, you know, I, I realized this in my line of thinking as of late that um, when I talk about sales and kind of my, my I'm, I'm the least defensible person on the planet but I do get a tiny bit offended when somebody says like, it's sales, how hard can it be? And for those of us you know, who have been in it, who have been in enterprise sales, who've just been in sales in general and done it really well, holy moly is a complex, right? And there are a thousand different decisions that you make every day that impact your make or break, right? How you write an email, how you structure something, how you actually sell when you're presenting a proposal, all that goes into it. I think one of the reasons that sales is broken is because people think I can do it. Anyone can do it. And to be fair, anyone can do it. You can learn how to do sales. There's not a whole certification. You don't have to go to med school for it. Um, You can fall into it and take your innate qualities. But I think that we also think that anybody can do it. So then we don't know how to do it correctly. We learn from you know plenty of leaders who've been promoted incorrectly. And gosh, Amy, you can probably talk about that forever. Um, a little Peter Principle there. But we follow leaders that also don't know how to do it. And so. We've got that first starter. I think the other thing where things are really broken and where I love to focus a lot of my time is the foundations of selling. We don't really think about, let's make sure we've got our organizational house in order before we start to think about, you know, we're gonna bring in 17 different technologies and build this incredible tech stack and you know, do all the latest hacks and tricks and things like that and go into enterprise selling for the first time slow your roll and really think about, do you have your foundations in place? Do you have a sales process identified? Do you know what the script is, so to speak, on your very first call? Do we know what happens after you send out a proposal? Do you have these things identified first and foremost? And are you coaching your reps to really be human, to be authentic salespeople? Do they know how to write a great email? Do they know what to say correctly and an objection? Make sure that at the most basic level, you've got this and then you build. And I think that the, the best analogy I can give to this, it's that sales leaders are like, we're gonna renovate our master bath on the second floor. And you're like, that's amazing. Your foundation is cracked and your home is sinking. And they're like, that's okay, we'll renovate anyway. And you're like, okay. So I think, fix the foundation. Let's make sure that the house is standing and is in
0: good shape. And then let's build upon that. Um, Go ahead, Amy. I wanted to get your opinion on this as well, because I think it's a huge, huge uh, pain point in the, in the industry.
1: I, I would agree. And I think with, as with anything, so we're talking about the foundation, but then I think bigger than that, it starts from the top down in expectations and leadership. And what I notice is, so I'll give you a perfect example. Um, not all businesses, not all people, are created equal yet we 're treating it as such and sales and uh, recruiting I, I believe it I firmly believe it starts always with the people that you bring on and the expectations and how you enable them and support them but beyond that it 's like in my mind, when I think about this it's it 's not a one size fits all it 's not one dimensional, but yet we treat it this way. In so many people, so like for me, for years, people I've been in sales leadership and I've been in individual contribution, and I made the conscious decision on more than one occasion, I did not want to be a leader for that company. I just didn't. And it was like, well, what do we do with you? Because when you're really good at what you do, it's like, well, what's next?" Uh, and I think that people are just thrown into sales leadership, that have no business being in leadership, that don't really want to be a leader they like the ego they like the accolades they like the title but the fundamental piece about leadership in my mind is all about your people and those are the folks that tend to just regurgitate crap or what worked for me as a seller should automatically work for everybody else and i'm going to disrupt the entire team to put together uh, some sort of expectation or this is how it needs to be done because it's my way these are the broken bits and pieces. And so I think it comes down to leadership. I think that there is this world that we're living in um, where, and I don't have any beef with them whatsoever, but when predictable revenue was written, people have taken that model and they've totally bastardized it. The fundamentals of what predictable revenue was all about, I totally get that, I'm down with it, I support it. But now you've got this like ripped off plug and play over segmentation of sales and it has nothing to do with the buyer journey or the customer. And I like to remind people of this all the time. The customer holds the keys always. They're the ones that write the checks and they're the ones that fuel everything else that happens. But yet we put together this thing that's all about us and what we want in our process and our motion and has very little to do with them. And especially when you're going after money, it's like now you're in some multiplier of some expectation of someone else's dime and it's promoting all the wrong behavior. And so I think all of those things in combination, coupled with everything that Sam just said, and I agree, it is foundational. If you don't have that, nothing else really sticks for the long haul. So it's expectations, it's stop it with the hacking, the shortcuts, the one size fits all mentality, especially for my folks that are like, we crushed it with this high velocity SMB sales model. That's awesome. That's how you entered the market. But just because you did that, and just because your product was ready for that, and Sam and I were on a different conversation, doesn't mean that you're enterprise ready. Just because you had one inbound lead from an enterprise customer, how do you know that that's not one of their franchise owners? That has nothing to do with the big decisions made at corporate there is so much misconception. And especially from a sales leadership perspective, people are hired for the, for the shiny objects. Like, Oh, you, your team, more than 70% of your team hit. You went to president's club eight times in a row. You grew the business 200% year over year for four years. You're the sales leader that I want. Well, if I'm running enterprise sales and you did that, and it was, highly transactional SMB, that sales leader is going to have no idea how to lead what I need to do. And the wrong expectations are going to happen and therein lies the problems, like read, rinse, repeat, read, rinse, repeat. And the minute that we stop reading, rinsing and repeating, the minute that we start seeing some of these problems get fixed. And that's one of the big things that I encourage my clients when we're going through kickoff and discovery and I'm talking to them about what they need and why they need it, I am amazed at how many people aren't thinking through these things. And that's the work that I crave to do. It's like, wait, there's, let me get, let me help you get out of your own way. I can see this disaster coming from a mile away. Let me help you. So that's a lot that I just unloaded, (laughs) but all of that, plus Sam, plus so much more that's going to come up, I'm sure here.
2: Well, and I think you you bring up two two good points too, right? And I think, Amy, you're in the same boat from a recruitment perspective of how hard can it be? I've interviewed people before. I've hired people before. I know what I'm looking for. Why is it that I need an expert? Why is it that I need to outsource this, right, and pay a fee to find somebody? But I think it's, again, just taking that shift and thinking that There are experts out there who have this figured out down to a science because this is their core competency and this is what they do day in and day out. So before you think about hiring somebody on your own, looking maybe for completely misalignment in terms of qualifications to your exact point there, think about how do you bring in an expert to help you and make sure that you don't make the terribly extensive mistake of hiring the wrong talent, disrupting your team, costing yourself revenue, et cetera. I think the other thing, um, and this was an expensive mistake that I learned by myself, um, exactly your point of hiring the wrong caliber person for what you're doing. So I, when I was searching for one of my enterprise leaders at one point, I ended up hiring an individual who was a kind of VP of sales for a ton of startups and just incredibly well known in the space in New York, like very big brand. Um, and so I hired her and what was, what was so shocking to me and such a great learning experience was that I was taking somebody who was accustomed to having the world as their territory and saying, here are 40 accounts, go make it happen. And there was no, maybe a little bit nicer, more nicely than that. Um, But there's no idea of like, how do I nurture leads? How do I map out an account? How do I build an account plan? How do I start at the top and weave my way in and multi-thread? Because before it's just like, hey, everybody, we're new and we can do something. And now it's everybody knows our brand, but you need to figure it out with these 40 accounts and make or break. So I think expensive lesson for me to learn as a sales leader and for the organization and what we could have avoided with having proper talent. So again, just a good thing for for our our sales leaders to consider.
1: When it goes back to, that one size fits all, I, and not to pick on your alma mater and I don't know where it was that this was, but I know that you worked at LinkedIn and I have this conversation a lot. I go back to HR tech as well, where it'll be an HR tech startup and they're like, we want somebody from LinkedIn because look at their culture and look at their playbooks. And I'm like, do you realize that their playbooks have been set in stone for a really long time and the person that you're going to take out of that, if they've never created that playbook before, they know how to manage to that playbook, they don't know how to create it. So the work that needs to be done at different stages of companies, different kinds of companies, different sizes of teams, right? Like, so you could be in a small company, but the team's really big or the reverse of that, or you could be at a LinkedIn or a Yahoo or whatever it might be. The work is different. And so there's this lack of understanding of the nuances and the complexities of sales. It isn't just this plug and play thing of here's your patch. Here's I mean, I remember when I first started, it was like, here's the yellow pages. I'm like, okay, you know, and yes, I go that far back, but it's like just go out <laughs> and and do it. And it's like I and luckily I, I did and I stumbled a lot, but I learned it doesn't have to be that difficult. And what I find is people aren't listening for the differences. And so it's like, well, this is our way of doing it. This is what we know. And what people aren't understanding is, well, you're treating your prospects horribly yes, you're force feeding business in, what does your churn look like? What does that look like? And by the way, how many lost opportunities do you have throughout the process? People just want to look at the new logos in, but there's a whole ecosystem of stuff that's happening that's hurting your business that people aren't thinking of. And the right leaders for your business are thinking about all of that. Um, Not just a little bit of well, we got funding and now we have to throw up 50 new logos, but we'll treat them horribly, shove them in. We're going to turn them in less than 12 months because we don't know what we're doing. We don't have a customer success motion. It is an ecosystem and all these things are part of it. And sales isn't something that you just do. It affects your buyer and it sets the st- the, the stage and tone for what happens next. So, sorry, Scott. I ask one question on that?
0: Can I ask? Scott, Can I ask uh, yeah. No, no, it's good. It's very good. So, so I was actually originally, I was going to ask a sales, a sales question, of course, the whole <laughs> thing's going to be about sales, but I want to actually, I want to actually ask a people question because I think as we're sort of unpacking this, a lot of this is not so surprisingly driven by uh, the people that you hire, the people that you bring in. So when you, when you are, you know, everything you're saying makes sense about how it's not a one size fits all, how you have to find the right type of leader, how the, the leader has not just maybe the operational experience, but actually conceptualizing and ideating and building out that playbook and then maybe running with it depending on what their background is like. And there's all these different nuances. So is it finding the right person with the right experience or is it finding the right person with the right personality traits? Because not everything can always be found in experience because, well, it, or it's very difficult to find somebody who scaled a startup from 10 to 50 million and then built up that playbook successfully. And then that's the perfect time for that person to pivot into a new role and a company that's doing the exact same thing. Is that an easy person to find? Or can it be substituted with some level of competency plus some personality traits that can allow them to understand and build that out, even if they haven't done it before to the same level or the exact same nuance as what you're hiring into?
1: Yeah. So for me, it goes back to that it's not a one size fits all. And so that's where my enterprise selling shops come through of discovery. Um, And I think both of those things are important. So like, what are the DNA traits that this person inherently needs to bring to the table? You can't teach somebody to care, right? Like either they do or they don't. What do they care about though? It's what they care about and why they care about it that I'm especially interested in. And I need to listen to my clients of, have we taken the intentional approach to understand why are we hiring, right? Why, why is it time now? And if it's, and one of the things that I do the most of is, is cleaning up, right? They, they've gotten it wrong. They're feeling the pain. Uh, their recruiting process isn't working. They're suffering from all the horrible effects of mishiring. There are lots of lessons to learn there. Let's not repeat those. Let's take a moment and figure that out and connect some of those dots. So a lot of that is going to be, well, why, why do you think that this, that this is a good time to hire why this role sometimes i have to tell people like you want a vp you're so early stage don't do that right that's gonna hurt you so it's it's understanding the why and then the what and really diagnosing there's two different buckets there what are the things that the person absolutely has to be has to embody has to believe in and then on the flip side what are the things the characteristics of the work that they need to do The work that they've done, how that translates. So, I have this conversation with early stage companies all the time where they're like, I want a sales leader that has taken a company from zero to 50 million 10 times. And I'm like, that person doesn't exist. And if they did, they're working for themselves now, consulting, making a boatload of cash. They don't have to take this role. The work is a grind and they don't want to go through that. So, let's talk about your stage, right? What's the work at your stage? Because chances are the person that can get you from zero to perhaps five to ten million, that's a very, very different leader than the leader that's at a hundred million. And and it's okay to hire over them if they can't rise to the occasion, but give them an opportunity. These are the things to think about. People aren't thinking like that. So I always tie it back, Scott, to what is the actual work and then all the other things that you're talking about sort of shake out. I'm a huge fan of the scorecard and using all of that to map it out as to all this carries weight. Let's think about what weight it carries and let's use this as our guiding force so that we do get it right together so that it's not just making assumptions or not knowing you've got this heavy hair in front of you. You don't know how to talk to them. You don't know how to ask them questions and you read some stupid thing online about these are the top 10 questions to ask a sales leader. You have no idea why you're asking it. You have no idea what they're answering, but it sounds good. So I'm going to hire them. Stop. Stop it right now! And if you are doing that with peace and love, please call me because I will help you.
2: Uh, I think you you talked about um, a good word earlier, ecosystem, and I wanna I think wanna say something in using your terminology, also Scott, that I think t- tends to be a shocker for a lot of business owners and even senior leaders. You one size fits all doesn't exist. You also have two types of sales leaders. You have true sales leaders who have been individual contributors. They're the the Amy and Sam's of the world who have been there and done that, been in the the trenches and grinded it out and can actually tell you how to do it. And then you've got operational leaders who probably have sold maybe for a year or two, weren't super successful, but knew all the mechanics and the math of it and could map out a process for how you should, look at your Tableau reports and your Microsoft BIs and all of that and figure out exactly what you need in order to be successful you need both kinds of leaders in your organization, right? Because you're going to need someone who's going to be able to go to the table with your, your clients, build rapport, know how to start the call, know how to work the room, know how to actually sell what it is that you're doing, and then you're going to need your operational leaders, right? You can get that in sales operations, but you can also just get that in, in operational leadership by having that at a different level of the organization, too. I think people focus, one, don't have a viewpoint for that. And then, two, a lot of people get really excited about the operational people because they're like, oh, data, data, big data, that's exciting. And that is exciting and that's wonderful. But you also need, especially as frontline managers, the people who are working and coaching your reps. You need leaders who are going to be able to say, "This is how you do it." Restructure this email this way. Restructure this proposal this way. Let's do a prep call and a dry run before you go, and you know, possibly botch it in front of one of our biggest opportunities ever. So you've got to look for that across the board. And I think that the, um, again, the focus on data and, and operations is is great and is important, but. Again, making sure that you have a balance between your leaders who can fill the certain gaps for you. It's like building a baseball team. You're not going to, everybody's a baseball player, everybody's a VP of sales or whatever, but you've got you know your umpires, your batters, your third baseman, et cetera. Everybody has a little bit of a different role and a strength that they bring. If you only brought one of those and built your entire team based on that, you wouldn't be successful. Right? I hate sports analogies, and great that I just gave you one, um, but that, that's how that's I it. a good analogy.
0: It. I liked it. Right? I never heard <sighs> that, but it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. Everyone's a baseball player, but you got to find the right position.
2: All right. What do you think, Scott? What's your, what's your take?
0: I, I think that um, the biggest issue that I've seen like, over my career is that you have individuals like yourself that are very forward-thinking in the way that they want to do things, and they go into a consultancy agreement with an organization. But then the CEO has always done sales one way and the sales leader has always done sales one way. And then the efficacy of the consultant is now diminished because they're paying somebody to figure out how to get a, deci- like a decision maker on the phone. at the like very like tactical consultancy as opposed to you're almost like revamping the entire, the entire commercial organization. That's a lot to ask from somebody who's just looking to you know, hit their Q2 number, right? And I think that that's, so I don't, I, I guess that's what I've seen. And, and in, in when, when I've managed sales teams in my past, I've hired consultants. I've been, so I've been told to go hire this consultant from the CEO. And then I've looked to people that I sort of want to emulate and consultants that have sort of modern sales methodologies and, and, and just basically everything that you're saying, other, other sort of consultants like that. But then it always goes back to the, the CEO or the executive who doesn't really know much about sales or the decision maker within the company who just wants to buy the thing that's going to uh, get more deals or close more deals or the, the, the very transactional sales. So how do you find either, how do you find the right company as a consultant to work with? Because obviously you want to audit your customers. Or, or how, do you, how do you sell your services because I know that you're thinking the right way, but I know that your customers are not most likely.
2: Well, and I think you know, again, Amy, you're you're gonna have a, a good perspective on this since this is your your bread and butter. One of the things that I was going to say too is um, an earlier point, real quick. But um, think about two. Uh, Oh my gosh, you completely lost my train of thought. Um, the things that can and cannot be taught, right? So to the point of, we cannot teach somebody to care, right? Like Amy said, we cannot teach somebody how to, um, we can, but not in the same way, to authentically build rapport. Also look for those things, like what does your organization truly need in leadership right now? Is it, you know, do you have more leads than you can manage and you need somebody really strong in front of your customers? Or do you have absolutely no idea how to bring any of that in the door? Maybe you need a little bit of operational first and then layer on a sales leader who can truly sell. And I think for for us as consultants, it's also really important um, for us to know exactly what our core competency is, what we bring to the table, and to, like anything, disqualify opportunities. So our Amy and I are two people who are incredibly protective of our brand. And the last thing we ever want to do is to engage with the client and have them say, that was not at all what I expected, right? I would rather disqualify an opportunity and say, hey, it sounds like you need somebody that can help you with Power BI. Not really my strength. Here's somebody who would be awesome for you, hey, it sounds like you need help with recruiting. I could do it, but Amy can do it better. Here's this person that I can refer to you, right? And to disqualify those opportunities for yourself so that you don't do what every other consultant does, which is sign an agreement with a client, not be effective for them and continue to to dilute our value as consultants. Um, I think the other thing is just, again, understanding where they are possibly even giving them a little bit of advice and again saying, you know, I'd be a great fit for you because here are the core competencies where I can fill gaps for you, or I can help you here, but you're going to need 90% more than I can give you. And here's the direction that you should go in. Um, I don't know. Amy, what do you, what do you think?
1: So I'm super grateful, uh, back from my startup days of, of being in enterprise sales, I was hired at a company that thought that this is just what you would do and you know sometimes with private companies you don't even though you're peeling back the layers and you're asking the questions you don't they don't tell you what sometimes they don't want to tell you and this wasn't an enterprise ready solution and i remember the cmo that i was really good friends with um or or he became a big ally of mine and helped me told me to read this book called crossing the chasm and i have talked about this book a ton um you have different kinds of people in their evolution of buying. And what Sam and I are trying to do is um, really taking an old methodology and flipping the script on it and modernizing it because of what, what works right. And and what the marketplace is truly demanding and fixing problems for that. And so uh, to your point, Sam, I agree. I say no, and I'm not trying to sound like a jerk at all. I wish I was saying yes more than I was saying no. I say no, more to opportunities um, that come my way than I say yes, because I know who my ideal customer is. I know the work that we do and I know it's not for everyone. And so if somebody comes, comes to my, comes to my, comes my way, comes to my way, that's nice. Comes to me, my way. Yes. Um, <laughs> for, for these lovely gems that come my way that need help and they really want help, but it is that mentality that you're talking about Scott where it's like, I've always done it this way and they approach me like I'm just taking an order and this is a butt in a seat, I can't help. And it's gonna be a disaster. I'm talking about people's lives and their livelihood. And not that I'm you know, Mother Teresa over here, but I know the brand that I wanna create. I know the work that I'm trying to do and I'm a huge Simon Sinek fan of why. I have all of that why. I can't in good faith just do something for the sake of turning a buck. It'll blow up. I hear about the nightmare stories every day. So. I think I'm in the early adoption realm of crossing the chasm, right? And I'm going to read you a text. I just got it yesterday from a client. So I've spoken with a couple of recruiters lately, and none of them remotely compare to your process, professionalism, or awesomeness. FYI, not for people we're hiring, but them reaching out to me because she knew I'd probably be like, what? Um, Seriously, you should be absolutely dominating this market. Why aren't you the first person that everybody works with? I've been thinking about it for two days and I just don't get why you're not running the world. <laughs> um, I love her, right? I was I like, could, that goes
0: that on a, a website, by the way. You take know, it, you put like, it on you put that on a website. I
1: know, I was like, LinkedIn, like, can you just talk about that? But I, I responded back to her and said, because I'm asking people to think differently, because I'm challenging the status quo. And that's not for everybody. And Scott, to your point, When it's the, we've always done what we needed to do. There's another book that I read that was like, what got you here doesn't get you there. Um, And I'm probably, I I mix up titles, especially like on the spot, it's kind of that book. Um, But, you know, that had an indelible impression on me just because I've always done something. Like the way that I sold back in the day is not what I'm doing today. I've had to adjust. There are certain things that I will never not do But I've had to twist and turn them a little bit because of the buyer journey, because of the ecosystem that I'm a part of, because of what needs to happen, because the marketplace speaks louder than I ever could. And I just have to listen to it. And so that's the whole thing with this. I am not going to be for the company.
0: I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show, and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
1: That comes my way that says, We're working with 50 recruiters. We have horrible retention rates. We just need butts and seats. I've got to fill a class. I'm not really going to communicate with you. I don't really care about candidate experience. Like, I can't do that in good faith. I also talk about it all the time to fix it. How hypocritical would I be if I started doing that business just to turn a quick buck? Mm -hmm. So I think it's like, understanding that book crossing the chasm should be required reading for everyone because it saves you so much angst of trying to put square pegs in round holes it's okay that not everybody wants to work with me i'm okay with that what i'm not okay with is um people that that think that it's one way right and trying to work in another way like Self-awareness is really big. So when I do talk to clients and they're like, yes, we are ready for your therapy session. We are ready for your consulting. We are ready for your recruiting methodology. We do know that it works. You've got referred to us on a silver platter by this other company that we trust and old habits die hard. I can't, it's that whole adage, Scott, back to your point and Sam, your point too. I can lead the horse to water, but I can't make them drink. And the only time anything changes is when you make it change and you want it to and so back to sales because sales recruiting not dissimilar i'm not in the business of convincing anybody to do anything i never will i didn't in my sales career and i'm not about to do it here if i have to convince you that you should hire this person if i have to convince you that you should work with me if i have to convince you to sign my deal that's a big problem stop convincing either the value is there or it's not. And maybe there's some work that still needs to be done to determine that. But I can't make you change your mind if you don't want to change it. It's like every relationship in the world. I can't make you do something unless you're ready, willing and able and wanting to do that.
0: So I want to I want to point out something because you just spoke about something you spoke about how you sell yourself to customers. And I want to highlight that because you're sales consultants. And I think the way that you sell is the way that a lot of people should be selling, but they don't. And let me explain by let me explain what I mean. So when you say that you sell and you disqualify certain customers and you can't force something on somebody if they're not ready um, and you say no to a lot of customers, these are things, this is a good sales strategy, but it's not taught enough to sales reps. Because if I'm a sales rep in every job I've ever worked in, um the general consensus is you know if it breathes go sell to it and i think that that mentality of literally close everything close it as quick as possible you know there's nuances depending on whether or not you're like uh, you know b2c smb all the way through to enterprise but um the general mantra is you need to go sell and i think that if you focus on retention if you focus on churn if you focus on disqualifying customers you will find that the end result is actually not less sales, maybe in the short term, but not less sales long term. Long term vision, you are going to have reps that are focusing on the right thing, that are focusing on the right customer, that are focusing on the right you know buyer persona, uh, target customer profile. These things that kind of go out the window the second you are forced or or you know there's a lot of pressure to sell and to close and. To disqualify a customer, to say no, to keep them out of the pipeline is something that I don't think is trained over enough, but I think is one of the most useful strategies to uh, not only keep your sanity, but also to sell effectively to the right person, deliver the right products at the right expectations so the customer's happy, you're happy, everyone's happy, you're not wasting your time with customers that shouldn't be buying from you. And at the end of the day, it's just a more positive and healthy sales culture.
2: Well, I was gonna to say too, I think one of the the um, unseen values here is the trust that it builds builds with those prospective customers, right? So a really short story, There's um, I live just outside DC and there's a, a, a mechanic here called Auto Scandia for anybody else who lives in DC. Um, and I took my car there uh, for the first time forever ago. And one of the things that they came back to me and said, They said, "Okay, where do we even begin with the the work that your car needs? And I'm like, oh, good. Let me pour myself a bourbon. It's 9 Um, (laughs) a.m. And what was great about them, though, is that they went through the list and then they said, there's also all this other stuff that we can fix. But FYI, um, there's some actually callbacks and lawsuits going on with BMW right now that if you take it to the dealership, I bet you can convince them to fix it for free. Oh my God. And that was $3,600 of work in the end, which most of it I did end up getting for free just by saying like, I know about your lawsuits. Think about this too, right? And I I talk about this and just in the sales process, whether you're selling um, or whether you're a consultant outside, but if you can disqualify an opportunity and say, I probably could do this for you, but we're not the right fit. Or we, our platform sort of does that um, and it can do it in a band-aided way. But if you actually go to this place, well, you know, I'm not a fan of recommending a competitor, they'll do this for your specific purpose. Just think about somebody basically gave you advice that hurt them financially, right? But they did it because it was the right thing to do and because they had integrity and because they assessed your problem correctly. And now you that's trust built in them, right? And, and to go back and say, Okay, now we need this. Like, can you, can you do this for us? Or now I can recommend somebody for you because I really trust you and I trust your opinion. And I think the other thing to think about is one of the most beautiful parts about Amy and I being consultants is we get to choose what we work on, right? Like there's all, all kinds of lows with being a consultant too, right? That come with it, but we get to choose the work that we work on. And the reason that we're consultants is because we want to do the work that we're most passionate about. So for instance, um, somebody uh, well-known in the tech space recommended a client to me the other day. And the client said, we'd love to talk about messaging with you and we need help with messaging. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot wait. I'm salivating. Let's rewrite all of the things and get excited. And when they came for the meeting, they said, what we really need is a Marketo expert. So we need somebody that can write all of our marketing campaigns in Marketo, tell us about our performance. I don't do that. I can sort of spell Marketo. Um, I know Marketo, but I don't know it well. And I'm certainly not the right person. But if I was in a desperate situation, I could be like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then I would furiously Google how to do this and then kind of do it. I would also hate the work. I would hate the work. It would take me away from doing all the other work. And I wouldn't build a good brand with this client because they would see that basically I'm a fraud and I kind of con them into doing this. The other thing is, I want to do work that I'm really talented at that's going to get people to say, this rocks my world, and I'm going to refer you to somebody else. Same thing in sales, right? You want to do the work that's really meaningful. You want to do the work that builds a better brand for you, that will get referrals for you to keep doing that work. I want to write messaging all day long. I want to empower your BDRs and, and you to get pipeline all day long. I want to help you get your company off the ground all day long. I don't want to do marketo campaigns for anyone that's listening that does that i have a lead for you um but (laughs) it's it's important to disqualify that because it's just not the work that i want to do again granted amy and i are in good situations where we built our businesses and and you know maybe don't have to be desperate for for the work but if you can afford to i would really um advocate that you do that
1: well and to that point you bring up an an excellent point of that is one of the reasons why I'm self-employed, right? I wanted to do it my way because I knew that I had tapped into something. One of the biggest fights I had of working for others was fighting for my customer, right? And, and being like, no, we cannot, and taking financial hits for it, by the way. And my customer, it wasn't like I called them up and be like, yeah. So, you know, this is the pain that I felt, but it was right. And I knew, especially in enterprise sales, these were relationships that I'd have that were repeated This was my, this was my brand. This was my integrity. This was, and so I tell people, especially in enterprise sales and in any, in any world, you never know where the paths cross again. If it feels icky, you probably shouldn't do it. If you have to think twice, you probably shouldn't do it. But what happens to those people that are working for that tyrannical boss, that's just like a version of the boiler room. That's like, I don't care how you feel. I don't care how the customer feels. Here's your number. Or you have this incredible pressure over you. And and the fix for that is your pipeline trumps all, right? When you do the right work with the right people consistently, you can have more powerful conversations to say no versus jamming things through. But most importantly, it ties back to the hiring process. I'm doing this thing called Thursday night sales where we have hundreds of people join us. And the conversation that we have has been so enlightening for me and for many others. People are afraid to ask questions in the interview process. It goes back to that hiring motion of this is your career, this is the job that you have to do every day. If you don't understand what the day-to-day really looks like, right? Like what is expected of me? Do I have the threshold of if it doesn't make sense, who are the partners that you refer business to, right? Or what does that look like? And if they're like, hell no, we don't do that. We win. Like Maybe you want to know that that's not good for you. And so this goes back to that fundamental piece of intentionality on both sides. I have this manifesto that I live by. I can't care more about your growing your business than you do. And I can't care more about your career than you do. And if I do, we have a real big problem. You can't backseat approach your business, your people, your career, et cetera, et cetera. And so When I think about that, just pause for a second. And again, there's a scorecard methodology in place for people looking for jobs. The things that are really important to you, and if this is really important to you, and I sure hope it is if you're in sales and you want a long-term career, it is incredibly scary the first time you do it, the first many times that you do it, but it is incredibly powerful. And I can't tell you some of the biggest no's that that I've had to say that are painful, that suck right? Like even though I do it, I still want, you know, it it still would be great to do that. And it's hard to say no, have come back tenfold, whether it's referrals, whether it's coming back to me with the right opportunity because they heard me. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to somebody and I'm like, I'm not the right person. I've heard what you said. These are the things that I heard. Did I get that right? Yes, you got that right. Here's why I'm not the right person for you. Here are the things that you need to think about. Here's some of the work that you might want to do before you engage with someone and pay a lot of money. And I can't tell you how many people are like, it's, they're like stunned. That's just happened where they're like, wait, what? Thank you. Thank you for being <laughs> honest. Thank you. Wait, you could have just taken my money. Like, thank-. Yeah. I get a lot of gratitude. And Sam, one of the things that you say all the time, and I love you for this, and this needs to be your next hashtag is being a gracious loser. Whether I say no or it's said to me, how I act in that moment determines what happens in the future. And Scott, I think you said it earlier, we're so short-sighted or I think but all of us have said it in one degree or the other, but I think mm-hmm. you said it as well. Think about the big picture, right? Just because it's a no today doesn't mean that it's a no forever. And somebody recently challenged me and they're like, how dare you say, because I said on the LinkedIn post, it's disgusting when you try to force feed a no into a yes. And I got a lot of flack from this particular individual. And this particular individual is like, it's disgusting if you don't seek to understand to turn the no around into a yes. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not seeking to try to turn anything into anything besides having business conversations and connecting the dots, confirming, denying that I can do that. And if I can't, I'm not here to convince you. And that is the problem. And that person that chimed in is a very big voice on LinkedIn that has a lot of advice that a lot of people follow. So that's the other thing to this. Mm -hmm. So many people, we're in this like cluttered space. Everyone's talking about content. I'm on it myself. But the way that I use my voice, I genuinely try to help people through the things that I know to be true with the results that I've seen. You've got a lot of people that are jumping into the content fund because that's what you do. And that's that's what you should be doing. Well, not everybody should be. I hate to say that out loud. I'm going to be the unpopular opinion here to say this, but not everybody should be. And if you're following advice from big influencers, and I that term makes me kind of cringe, consider the source and look at the influencers. What do they talk about through the collective course of time? Is it out every side of their mouth just to get engagement. Or is it that they're the expert in that and that they talk about that because they care deeply because they have the results and body of work and experience to back it up. So much bad advice that people are following. I'm glad that you brought up Mark Roberge. He is like the OG of really thinking about sales in such a different way. And anybody, me included, that have read his book, they were like, hell yeah, like this, yes, all of this. And there's a reason why we all reference that. Those that aren't, and not that Mark is like the be all and end all, but like those that are just putting their spin to something and there's no basis for it. That's a problem. But if you've got a big following, they're influencing our craft, the things that we're talking about today to care about and influencing it in a really icky way. Like it, it just, that's, that's why I use my voice every single day is to try to settle the score a little bit and to say, slow down to go fast think about these things. So sorry, I'm on a tangent. I'm going to like cut myself (laughs) off. I'm like the blood pressure's up on a Friday. I don't even know what's happening here. So
0: that's why we only get you at the cottage. I don't want to see you in the city.
1: Why do you think I moved away from Chicago? Let's be real.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, and one thing I want to do is, uh, you know, we went through a ton of really, really good stuff. Um, one thing I wanted to pull out and just ask both of you, uh, would we be able to just do like a rapid fire list of like the worst practices the worst things you see in sales or sales leadership because as people are listening this uh, listening to this they're going to say like oh shit I do that or oh I do that and I just want it from both of you uh it could be uh something that you do as an individual uh as an individual contributor or like a sales leadership like worst practices in the industry I'd love to sort of just run through a, run through a, a list rapid fire.
1: And I wrote notes, so I will, I will not give any examples. I'll just do rapid fire. Sam, you first.
2: Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some one-liners too of what I see that is just icky. Um, so here's, here's my first one. Hey, it's the first email I've ever sent you. Here's my Calendly
1: link so you can schedule time with me. <laughs> no, don't do it. What's yours? You go next. <laughs> we'll ping pong. Uh, there are no hacks. There are no hacks. Um, discounting is our strategy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, I've got,
2: you in, I've got another one. Do you have 15 to 20 minutes for me to tell you about my solution today? Hey, Sam, I wanted to connect with you on LinkedIn. Our product is the leading SaaS platform for it cloud solutions, which you as a, you know, three and a half person sized company definitely need. Are you open to connecting? No, dude.
1: How about this? I just want to talk to you. I just want to, I just, I just, I just, I just. And by the way, there is a Chrome extension, a fix for this, um, that's called Just Not Sorry. Anytime you use any one of those words, it, it takes it out. It's awesome. Um, so that the one size fits all, we said that. Stop mm-hmm. treating it as such. Use a scorecard. Uh, train and onboard and enable. That there's a big lack for that. Of, of that, I should say. Remember that the customer holds the keys always. Um, not all sales leaders are created equal. Expectations from the top down, starts in the interview. Understand what you're really stepping into, not just what people are telling you. Don't get caught up in the shiny objects. Those are some of the things on my list.
2: Thanks for getting on this discovery call. First time I've ever spoken to you, I'm gonna tell you about me for 28 minutes and then you tell me if you wanna buy me. Um, not being a gracious loser. So losing a deal and it never responding or being a sore sport about it. Um, urgency, lack of urgency. Um, really quick story there once handed a lead to a rep and a VP of sales. Amy, I think I've told you the story. Uh, and it took them 11 days, 11 That's days to respond. Bad. Oh, That's Oh like my God. Bad. That's- um, no personalization in your outreach. Um, yes, we want to scale. And yes, we want to do that. And yes, there are platforms to do that. You have to personalize your content. The higher you go, the more important it is. And if you don't think it's important and you just want to spray, spray and pray, which is my least favorite term, then you're just never going to be
1: predictably successful. Um, what else is really bad? Just including that we went to the same college together. Uh, <laughs> part of the pipeline is fierce. So... Uh, thinking about that pipeline for the short, short term, near term and long term, right work with the right people consistently, that's when you can say no. So that was the other thing is the power of no is fierce and just because it's a no today doesn't mean that it's a no forever. Think about the big picture. The other thing is your customer trumps all and I know I said this before, but I saw, I saw this newsletter that came my way that was like retention is the new growth. No, no. Retention has always been important, so it's not just what you're getting in for the new logo. It's everything that happens up to that point and after that point.
2: Totally, I think also for the for reps broken in sales is um, not putting not keeping our foot in the gas on the gas, and we have decent pipeline. So I think this is really what separates the greats from the the average performers. Is that the way that I I always talk about it is. Once you have pipeline, you need to constantly keep the lens on the fact that operate as if you have zero pipeline. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep your foot on the gas, right? And what will happen is you're still attacking your territory with the same amount of aggressiveness that you would if you have none of your deals, and that pipeline will continue to grow. I think it's so easy to see reps that do a roller coaster. They have a ton of pipelines, so they don't focus on building it. And then they close those deals, and then they have no pipeline. So then next quarter is terrible. Next quarter is great. Next quarter is terrible. So keep your keep your foot on the gas. Um, I think the other thing is not knowing how to nurture your leads properly is, is a huge broken thing in sales, right? We send a proposal out, and we don't keep in touch. We just wait. And hope for the best. Or we get a not now but in 90 days and we say sounds good. And we put a task in Salesforce and for 89 days. And then we're like, it's now a good time to chat. And they're like, Who are you again? Um, and not using technology to help scale. And I don't mean by sending out thousands of emails, I mean thinking of technologies like LinkedIn Sales Navigator that you can use that will just churn um, leads to you on a daily basis and just pump them out, or you can use meaningful leads, meaningful insights, and actually keep in touch in a meaningful way or go after new leads and, and, and close those deals in less time. Um I think also just the act of not digitally selling is hugely broken right now that we're in a pandemic I don't know if any of you have noticed um but the amount of outreach that I get from organizations <clears throat> I just signed an enormous financial organization that I'm training their entire uh, sales force on how to digitally sell it's a thousand sales reps and sales leaders who have virtually no presence on LinkedIn they have no idea how to replace you know a handshake with a zoom they don't know do I post content do I tag people they have no idea this is this isn't social selling it's not modern selling it's selling today it's an expectation these are table stakes right now so if you don't already have a strategy for that and implementation for it make sure you know how to digitally sell how to connect right how to how to actually leverage content on linkedin what else what are we missing scott what's on your list
0: yeah so i'd say there's uh two things and you and you have a great list and we went through a whole bunch of them but i'm going to i'm going to highlight two more um that i think are super important and i really sort of uh, I really try and evangelize these as much as possible. So the first one is sales and marketing alignment. So messaging across both of your commercial organizations, essentially, uh, you know, we're all aware the buyer's journey is no longer linear. It's changed a lot um, since, you know, you what we what we knew sales to be in the past and history. Uh, the buyer just doesn't uh, you know, it's not just they submit a lead uh, or they submit their name and they become a lead and then it goes through that buyer's journey to get contacted by an inside sales rep who gets, and they get passed over to an account executive. They do a demo call and then eventually uh, they go all the way through to, to closing that deal and, and the company wins the business. It's, the buyer's journey is not that simple anymore. So now the buyer goes on social media and they go on a website and then they contact uh, the company and they contact somebody who they know use the company, they check it out on LinkedIn, who are their peers who are following the company, they contact uh, the uh, the SDR, the sales, uh, the inside sales rep, they book a call They get on that call. Now that SDR moves that customer over to an account executive for uh, for a demo call after the discovery. And now the customer has, you know, looked on social looked on the website spoken to one person spoken to a friend spoken to the account executive, they're going to go back on social, they're going to go on the website, and they're doing this. Constantly, and they're constantly going through all these different outlets, and they're checking all these different resources and all the different mediums where the company puts out their marketing material. Wherever the company puts out a marketing campaign, whatever it may be, and as they go through all these different, all these different avenues and all these different mediums of, and all these different ways to interact with the company, um, they're getting messaging. They're getting messaging from the marketing campaigns. They're getting messaging from the sales reps. And the issue that comes with not aligning that commercial, like the marketing and the sales messaging, and having that sales and marketing alignment, is that when they go on social media, or when they get an email, or when they go on the website, it's a different message than when they speak to a sales rep. And when you have that misalignment, um, it's harder to build trust. So the first one, yeah, for sure, is sales and marketing alignment. I think needs a lot of work across a lot of different organizations. And the second one has more to do. With startups. So, one thing that I try and preach a little bit is for founders to not hire sales uh, or VP sales until they've sold their own product. So, how do you bring a product to market at an early stage? And what's the mistake that's made? Well, I think the mistake that's made is that a founder hires a VP sales too soon to go sell the product for the founder when the founder can't sell the product themselves or they don't have the confidence to go sell it. Um, what I think they should do, and I've I heard this, this is sort of an idea that. Um, I've, I've internalized myself, but I did hear it from someone else originally, was that how you take a product to market is the founder goes sells 50 of the widget or the product. Uh, once you've sold those 50 of that widget, now you've understood who your buyer is, you can develop a buyer persona, you can develop uh, an ideal uh, customer profile and ICP. And then once you have that, then you give that to somebody to develop demands, so you can give it to somebody who can create more demand, because now you have a model to emulate who that target customer is. And once you have so much demand coming in that the CEO can't handle all the leads, that's when you go and build out your sales organization. You can hire that head of sales or whatever, but to, just, uh, just to go hire a head of sales if you've never sold your product or you're expecting them to sell the product, um, that's not the best way to do it. And also, a VP sales is not going to be like, you know, you mentioned before, fitting people into certain slots. A VP sales who's going to be able to. Win business over at an early stage, if you really want to do an outbound focused approach, it's going to be much different than somebody who is uh, very exceptional at building out in most cases, very exceptional at building out a large commercial organization, understanding the right talent to hire because those are two different types of people. person who's just a glorified uh, inside sales rep who's you know hitting the pavement, dialing you know dialing for dollars, and that's what they're really good at, and that's what they want to do you know day in day out. Um, maybe some, maybe some VP sales probably came from that, but if you have a really good tactical VP sales that can build out a strong commercial organization, they probably left that role a long time ago and they don't feel the need to go back. But anyways, those are my two points, um, that, you know, other, outside all the other really good ones that you mentioned.
2: Couldn't agree with you more. And I think that that's also where, you know, the the aspect of Sam Sales BDR came into play because I was working with so many early stage companies that said, okay, we want to hire a sales rep now, right? Or we want to hire a head of sales. And we don't know how to do that. How do we write the job rec? How do we do all that? And I was like, great. um, Why do you want to do that? And they're like, well, we need leads. We need to be able to bring in business. And it's to your point exactly, Scott, you need somebody that is less expensive, that can also help bring in the leads and drive demand. So then you get to a point where you're like, I can't do this anymore. I need to hire a sales rep that can actually effectively close, take these over for us. So I think it's great if you have somebody like from a BDR perspective that knows how to do the messaging that can do all the cadences that can start to reach out, right. Versus a sales rep or sales leader. That's going to be two or three times the cost and go after it. I think your um, your other point too, just in terms of bringing bringing that that team on um, early stage and and not knowing how to sell their product is also something I see working with head of marketing, working with the CEO. I'm like, what's your value proposition? Why do people buy you? And they're like, well. And I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, who's your buyer? What's your key buyer persona? What's your drool worthy buyer is what I always say, right? Where a lead comes in from this person and you're like, oh my God, what is that? And they're like, well, I mean, a lot of people buy us. And I'm like, okay. So there's a lot of discovery work that needs to be done to make sure that you know why, why your product is better, why your company is better than somebody else. And you know who it is that would buy it in an ultimate form. So love, love your points.
0: Yeah. Those were the two that I wanted to drive home. I really think you nailed the rest of them. I don't have anything else. Uh, I think we've covered a ton of stuff. I have some life lesson insight questions I want to ask rapid fire. But before um, I go into that, is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to bring up?
1: I just would say there's two things that I want to add to that list that I think both of you will agree with. And I loved the last point, all the points, but really the last point that you made of um, founder-led selling and perception versus reality. And I think sometimes when you're so close To it, and that's your baby, and you think it's great, and you're wicked smart, and everybody's telling you how great it is, doesn't mean that your client is. And if you don't know who your client is, that's a problem. So I love that. But here's the here are the last two things that I would say. Um in the world that we live in, even with SMB, the buyer journey is multi-threaded. It's not just singular with one person. So embracing that and understanding that and figuring out what that looks like and staying close to all the people involved, especially inside of a pandemic right now, right? Where maybe the buyer team, maybe it was cut by half. Maybe a quarter of that team is gone. That makes you start the work all over again. And so the more that you understand and you're rooted in lots of different people that are part of that buying motion, the better it is. And the other thing is, and I, I live and die by this in every part of my life, What you put into something is what you get out of it in your sales career and your business. And if you're a founder, I don't care what it is. What you put in is what you get out. And if you take a backseat approach to it or you just go plug and play because you read some article online that you think is cool and it has nothing to do with your business, it's going to hurt you. I think so that.
2: Yeah, to that point with Amy. And and something Amy touched on earlier that I think was important was what do you do when you're working for that, that boss that doesn't care about disqualifying opportunities and just wants you to bring everything? what you put into your career is what you get out and if you work for an organization that's like that that says just go and make it happen no matter what you've got to think about your own personal brand and how that's going to take you long throughout your career especially if you're working you know that you want to work in the same space right if you're in pharma sales and you know you want to get to SaaS, like okay maybe a little bit less because you're probably going to get to different buyers in the end but if you're in SaaS, like amy and i have been basically for our entire careers and you know you're going to keep building this or you're in a particular vertical and you know this is probably going to be your career forever because you've already invested a decade. You need to think about what your brand is every day, not only from the product that you sell, but how you guys sell it to what you put into it in order to get the right things out of it. Um, I, and I'll share just a quick story when I was really young in my career, just a few years after, in fact, being in net new enterprise sales our um, My company was a a channel, was resold another product, so we were a channel partner to a larger organization, and we terminated that relationship with that, that channel partner because they were expensive. We went with a far less expensive product, and we had to turn that over and all of the things that were built on that product in about 10 days. And after that started, it was one thing that failed after another, and our clients were getting so upset And I said, I don't have another job lined up, but I cannot connect myself with this product because I will lose all the relationships that I just spent the last four or five years of my life building. So just think about that too, right? If you're in that boat, is this impacting your own personal brand? And when you eventually move, well, will this be an issue for you? Will people then want to still work with you? And if not, if you continue supporting this,
0: move along. All right. I'm going to feel like an asshole asking this question. Um, It's a tough question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Uh, People have bills. People have homes, people have, uh, you know, kids, people have all these things that they have to pay for. So if somebody's stuck in a situation where they are in less than ideal circumstances with their work, um, perhaps, like you mentioned, like they feel like they're hurting their own professional profile or their own professional persona, what would you recommend they do when times are tough like this right now, when unemployment is at an all-time high? It may not be that easy to just get another job i'm curious to know what you what, what you would recommend
2: i guess my my feedback would be one make sure that you're doing the foundational again things that you need to do to set yourself up for a better job so if you're thinking i've got to separate myself what do i do now in order to make that happen in 90 days um think about the basics right uh, linkedin profile we know that that's where we go first and foremost to check people out make sure that it is checked out through and through There's hundreds of resources to help you. Um, You can also pop over to my LinkedIn profile and there's an article that I wrote all about recommendations. It's called Recommendations of Do I Have To? Which is I think pretty much how we all feel about it. Um, But yeah, you have to. If you wanna get hired, you have to. So there's a whole script and all that stuff. Go feel feel free to grab it. so make sure you're doing those things first and foremost to get set up to be in, a good, in good shape when people look at you. I think the other thing, and this will probably be really unpopular advice and I'm gonna get a lot of eyebrow raises. Um, I say yes to my leader and then I do my own thing. So at one of my former companies, I had a leader who was like, discount, discount, discount. And I was like, right on top of that rose. And we never did. And we just didn't, because it wasn't the right thing to do for our reps. It hurt their quotas personally. It slashed our value with our our customers. No, no way in hell. I'm not attaching my brand to it. So I managed that correctly and I was like, and then I did our own thing. And we were unbelievably successful as a team. Why? Because I probably conceitedly knew that I knew better and I did my own thing. So figure out how you can balance, right? Especially if you're starting to look for another job, how can you balance that? Right, giving the right right perspective to your customers while managing up and kind of keeping those things at bay.
1: (laughs) I think it goes back to like control what you can control, right? And if it ever has felt icky, or if it ever has, if you have to second guess it, um, I just, I'm one of those people that's like, to your points, I'm like, sure, and then doing what I feel is right, unless you're being micromanaged, where your is involved in every single call. And I've had that before. I find that buyers are hip to that anyway, and they're going to know that it's not you and that it's them. Um, and if you're talking about not wanting to be aligned with a brand, it's okay to temper your voice on LinkedIn to talk about things that you want to talk about, right. That are still germane to your buyer. That still um, speak to the things that you find are important for them And it's not going against your company and it's still relevant to your company. It just changes the tone, you know? So it's like, if you want to change what's being discussed, change the conversation. And I'm a real big fan of that. The other thing that I would say is get yourself a scorecard, understand why the thing is broken and use that as your guiding force to make sure that you don't make the same mistakes when you get the next job.
0: Very good advice. Very good advice. Okay. Um, To wrap up uh, some rapid fire. One, one life lesson that you would tell your younger self
2: amy you go first (laughs) you're welcome
1: it's yeah thanks it's still a lesson that i struggle with to this day but um embrace the shades of gray not everything is black and white i'm very much sort of a black and white person and um i like to know and understand and if i don't then i understand that too Um, and there's a lot of gray area and it's uncomfortable. That's usually where it's the most uncomfortable learning how to celebrate the shades of gray. I do a better job now as a, as a younger person, I did not do a great job of that.
2: I think my, I love that. Um, I think mine is, is, probably come as a shock to you guys, but invest in your, invest in your brand, right? For, for your brand is who you are consistently for better or worse. And I think that, you think about that both externally to what the world can see and internally to how you engage with your your cross-functional partners and with your teams. Um, I think one of the lessons I love about that too, in terms of the brand, is to always do the right thing. And I know that's like, oh wow, riveting. But I think this was a good leadership lesson for me as well. One of my leaders said, you know, sometimes I'm going to be in tough positions, and I want to I want to do the good thing for the right for both people. But doing what's right, like what's black and white right, is not something you can argue with. So if, you know, a lead comes in and I had just transferred the account to somebody else and that person comes, the old person comes back and says, oh, hey, um, wait, that was my lead. Never on it for so long. Like black and white, that account is in somebody else's name. And yeah, it really sucks, but the right thing to do is to leave it with the new owner, which can stink. But I think it was good perspective, Um, again, the brand piece is so, so important. And I think about it for me, like I invested in my brand of people knowing that I was learning that I was a sales expert, right. By, by going out on LinkedIn, I invested in my brand by always doing the right thing by what I knew was going to be consistent in my life, which was my clients, not always my, my company, right. To the point of saying we're discounting and then not discounting. I invest in my brand of doing right by the people, the cross-functional uh, partners that I worked with so that when they moved, they might wanna recruit me or when they moved, they might wanna hire me and can recommend me as well. So that would be the biggest thing. If you were not doing that and thinking, how do I wanna be perceived? What's being said about me when I'm not in the room? Again, hopefully in a positive way, um, that, that is a, a lesson. I, I wish I had known more, more uh, younger when I was younger in my life.
0: Very good advice, very good. Um, and then the last question, is one resource it could be a podcast it could be an audible it could be uh it could be a person it could be a book what's one thing that you would recommend somebody go check out to go learn and that's
1: from? easy for me i I'll oh, you go <laughs> it starts it always goes back to the why simon sinek the minute that i stumbled upon him and i've read all of his books um and i pay close attention to what he's saying i I just, I can't disagree with any of it. And it really like, it's nothing that you didn't realize before. It's just how you realize it. And when you realize it and how you apply it, that matters.
2: Totally. I think the um, for just a couple of different resources quickly. So I love Mark Roberge's uh, sales acceleration formula. I just love the the math behind it. So if you're a rep or a leader, I think it's great. If you're a leader, um, super recommend HBR's Women at Work. Even if you're a guy, I think it's great to listen to and get perspective on on the women's experience, uh, woman's experience from a leadership end. Um, I would also recommend Adam Grant and basically everything that he's written. But he's got great behavioral psychology um in his podcast and then final one i would recommend is radical candor if you're a leader yes. or aspiring leader yeah learn learn how to do it right before you mess it all up
0: <laughs> and uh and obviously most important where do people go to find out more about you
2: um, i'm on linkedin as always uh so find me there I'm working on my website but in the meantime uh pop over to linkedin and find me uh you'll find i'm super responsive as well i get a lot of requests but um feel free to hit me up if i can be of help too
1: um, for me, I like to live out loud, as I like to say, and you can find all the things that we've talked about, plus so much more. Um, LinkedIn, Amy volas I think I'm the only Amy Volas on LinkedIn, but also for my company, Avenue Talent Partners. Um, it's avenuetalentpartners.com.
0: That's all for today. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Success Story Podcast. You can download or stream this podcast wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes, Spotify, If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done.